The following presentation is from Mountain Park Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Mountain Park, along with additional audio and visual teachings, visit mountainpark.org. Good morning once again, everybody. So glad that you're here. My name is Alan, and I know you have plenty of reasons not to be here today. You had plenty of things that could have or may have gotten in the way, and yet you plowed through all of that, and you're here, and I'm so thankful. Uh, As Prather said, we're uh, in a new uh, theme for this year. We started it last week, this idea of something new that we as a church are going to experience many something news this year, and so we're also inviting you to kind of ask yourself that question, are you ready, are you open to something new in 2017? Last week when we introduced the topic, the question was, are are you ready, are you willing to try something new? And a number of you filled out those little blue and white cards, and if you uh, didn't see it in the lobby, I want to to invite you to go check it out, see where your card is, the big banner on the windows there. Just kind of this ongoing reminder that, uh, that, you know, hopefully it'll be a part of our conversations, a part of the way that we talk to one another is that, are you interested, are you uh, uh, willing to, uh, to be a part of something new here in 2017? Today, I want to talk about having a new start. Have you ever worked on a big project or maybe it's an, uh, a piece of art or it's a painting and, and then you have this nasty smudge or you mess something up and the project gets... You just wish you could start the whole thing over again, but because of materials and because of timing, you couldn't. You just wish you could have a mulligan and start the thing over again. Have you ever uh, said something to someone or done something or forgot something and wished that you could have that one back? Have you ever just kind of wished in the journey of life that you could have a fresh start, that you could have a do over? Uh, um, can you think of a, of a missed opportunity or a severed relationship or a bad habit that has become part of your journey that you just wish you could back up and redo that, that you could have a new start? The story of Jesus is referred to as good news. In fact, the name gospel, the word gospel literally means good news. And so part of that good news is that Jesus has come to give us a new start, And that is a very important part of our journey and our conversation here this year as we we look at God's overall story and see the many invitations that he has for us to be a part of something new. As we head into this idea of a new start, would you bow your heads with me? Father, I pray for uh, your uh, will here in this room for the next uh, uh, time that we have together. Father, I pray for any who, who are in need of a new start, and whatever that might look like, whatever language might be around that, whatever will surface, has already surfaced or will surface in the next few moments in terms of a new start, God, uh, I pray that we would be attentive to, to you, not to me, God, but to you and your word, your story, your goodness, your grace, uh, so that we can experience something new and beautiful. We pray these things according to the character of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, uh, this morning we are looking at one of the most known and famous stories in all of Scripture. It is the story of Noah and the ark. Now, let me just ask uh, if you could set aside, before we jump into the story, if you could just set aside the issue of whether it really happened or not. 
just set that aside. And because I know there are some of you in this room who would say, the, the fact that it happened is, is the very, you have to start with that. Otherwise, the whole thing crumbles and all, the whole story of Scripture crumbles. Then there are others who say, yeah, you have to assume that it didn't happen because uh, only an absolute fool would believe that, that, it, that there actually was a flood some time ago. Now, I just happen to be one of those fools. I happen to believe that there was a flood, not just in one local region, but around the whole planet. I'm just that foolish to believe that. But wherever you are on that, can we just set that aside for just a little bit? Because I think there's a lot we can learn from the story of Noah Noah and the ark without getting tripped up on whether it actually happened or not. Okay, set that aside. Now let's jump into this great story. One of the things that is confusing to me about the story of Noah and the ark is that it is embraced and celebrated as a children's story. I mean, this is, of all the stories, it is so often kind of, you know, connected with and told to, to children. And, but in order to do that, we have to kind of have a blind eye to a number of the elements of the story. The story is found at the, at the, really at the beginning of the Bible. The first book of the Bible is Genesis. The story of Noah's Ark is found in Genesis chapter 6 through 9. So all the way back in Genesis chapter 6, This is where we find this story. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn there uh, with me. We're going to spend all of our time, most of our time, in Genesis chapter 6. What we find at the beginning of this story, in verse 2, it talks about the the sons of God uh, uh, being with the daughters of man. And so, I mean, you know, many scholars have looked into that and say, what is that referring to? How, how are these angels? You know, are, there, are angels having relationships with humans? And so this is a lot of the beginning of this story we don't, we don't talk about. We just kind of say, yeah, I don't understand that part. And so we kind of jump, let's jump on to verse 5. You know, that's where, that's where it kind of starts. That's, but that's right at the beginning of the story of Noah's on the ark. Noah's ark. And right at the end, if you recall, at the end of chapter 9, as soon as the water recedes and they walk out of the ark and they are on dry land, the first thing that happens is that Noah has too much to drink, gets naked, and passes out. That doesn't sound like a children's story. That sounds like college. Uh, <laughs> Let alone the fact that the entire story, it, it, it revolves around the reality of having thousands of floating human and animal carcasses that are the, that are the result of this story. But it has animals going two by two. So let's decorate the nursery with this story of Noah's Ark. I mean, this is it. We've, we've got to embrace the full story, not just the, the cute little ark and the animals hanging over the edge version of the story. We have to embrace the full story here. Most of us, if not all of us, are familiar with the story of Noah's and the ark, but uh, uh, Noah and the ark. And so let me summarize it in this way. And this is a summary that I want to work with here um, this morning. The summary of the story is this. There's a storm coming. God provides a way out, and we must obey. That's kind, of a, that's kind of the overall story. We're going to see all of that in chapter 6. It's a summary of the story of Noah and the ark. There's a storm coming. God provides a way out, and we must obey. In fact, the point I want to make today, which I think is so beautiful about the, the story of Noah and the ark, is that, that that's not only a summary of this story, It's a summary of the whole story. 
It's a summary of, the, of all of Scripture. It's a summary of the story of humanity. It's a summary of what I like to call the whole shebang, the whole thing from the very beginning to glimpses we have at the very end. A summary of that story could be there's a storm coming. God has provided a way out, and we must obey. So let me first look at, at uh, there's a storm coming. There's a storm coming. It's reasonable to ask with this story as we get in beyond the children's version of the story and just say, okay, why did this happen? Why did God bring such a horrific flood? It's, it's so important to just jump in and say, okay, how, how could this have possibly happened? Because for me, it doesn't even flow naturally with, with the flow of Scripture. It, it just doesn't, it doesn't seem to fit with the flow of how God has designed this whole thing out. It was just five chapters before this that the earth was created. Just five chapters in Genesis chapter 1, and at the very end of that chapter, God saw that all that he created, and he said that it was very good. And yet it's only, it's only uh, five chapters later that we experience this, this devastating flood. Why does this flood even occur? It seems that God wanted to have a new start. God, in this journey, in this story, in, in his wisdom, and looking at all the pieces and all the elements, said, I am going to start clean. I'm going to wipe it clean, and just with the family of Noah, we're going to have a new start. Let's jump in and take a look with more detail as to why this flood came. Genesis chapter 6, we're going to start reading from verse 5. The story goes, the, law, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. I mean, that is a superlative statement. Every thought of, of the human race was only evil all the time. I mean, it was just this, this flat out, um, uh, there was so much corruption and God decided to do something about it. So, so man and woman were made in the, in the image of God and that's good and that's beautiful and that's perfect. We are made in the image of God. We're the only creation that is made in the image of God. And... We are made with this thing called free will. So we are beautifully made in the image of God, and we are given the opportunity to, um, to make decisions on our own. And it is that part of that story that, that it, seems, it, it, it seems to have even surprised God with how, how much our corruption, that without a conscience, without without uh, parameters from God, how much we naturally on our own move towards destruction. How much humans become beasts left on our own. What we see in the story after Noah is God then identifies Abraham and says, I'm going to create a new nation. And we're going to talk, start talking about this next week, that there was a new nation and said, I'm going to provide this nation with, with rules that the world has never seen before. Laws in terms of how to do life. And, and then, so there's those, some parameters around this, this, this free will that God has given us to say, okay, I'm going to start moving this, uh, moving this forward. We're going to see uh, how this kind of starts to walk out next week. But left to our own devices, we move toward destruction. People often uh, 
say that religion is the source of all evil in the world. That it is, you know, some of, the, some of the rhetoric, the political rhetoric and the way we talk about nations interacting with one another, that it is, the, it is religion that has created the problems in the Middle East, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and absolutely there have been horrific mistakes that religion has made that people in the name of God have made across uh, millennia. There have been awful mistakes that have been made, but it is... It, I think that anything good that is part of humanity, it has flowed out of the Old Testament law and the teachings of Jesus Christ. Anything good, anything, anything that we value of, as good, taking care of children, um, uh, protecting women, elevating the value of every single person of every race across the whole planet, elevating all of that stuff, all of those things that we embrace as universally good, they flow from the laws and the precepts from the Old Testament and the teaching and the modeling of Jesus Christ. That without those things, before any of those things took place, we were a complete disaster, and God wanted to do a new start. That anything good, anything good in this life, anything good, how we treat one another, how others treat, whether they know God or not, that flowed from the teachings of God in Scripture. That we think it's just, it's just natural, it's part of American culture, it's just the way we treat one another. No, that all came from God's story. It all came from Scripture. So here God is, and he's saying, I've, I've created uh, uh, man and woman, and I'm a loving God, and I've created them, and they are loving beings, but things did not work out so well. So the story continues. Verse 6, the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. His heart was deeply troubled. You got to understand that there's this image throughout Scripture of God as our Father, and a father is not neutral to the brokenness of his children. A father does not have a callous response. A father is deeply wounded, deeply hurt by the brokenness of his kids. That, that, that there, there is an emotional response from our creator because of his love for us. Imagine that you as a parent have the opportunity to provide your children. Let's say you've got four kids, and you provide your four kids with a house, a beautiful house on the beaches of Hawaii. I mean, beautiful house, and it's, it's a gorgeous place that is fully furnished, and food can, uh, is, is automatically replenished in the home. So, I mean, everything is taken care of. These, your four kids are taken care of in every way in the most beautiful place you could possibly imagine. Imagine if a couple of years later you went back to check on your kids and the place was trashed. I mean, this home, there's holes in the wall. It's just a mess. Nobody took care of anything. The place was just a disaster. And your kids hated one another to the point of threatening death towards one another. How would you respond? Would you respond with kind of a neutral, eh, it was an experiment? Would you, would you respond um, kind of without much of a reaction, with much of a change? Or would you step in and go, okay, we're going to do something radically different? I, I thought this was going to go a certain way. It did not go very well. I wanted to provide for you in every beautiful possible way. 
But we're going to have to do this different. We're going to have to do a new start. Verse 7, so the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I made them. That's a potent phrase. This is a, this is a significant moment in the story. And the reason it's so significant is, is the power of sin and how much our corruption grieves our Father, deeply grieves our Father. That the storms we experience in life, there's a storm coming. There has been storms in your life. The storms are part of the reality of of the fact that we live in a broken world. And that that flows from our our sinfulness and our selfishness. Any storm that you've experienced in life is the result of somebody's brokenness, selfishness, or your own. That it's just, that's, that's that's what happens in a broken world. And we must understand before we get to the, to the plan and, and, and you know, we're going to get to that in just a few minutes in terms of the way out that God provides. Before we get to that, we need to understand the potency of, of our corruption and how much it grieves the Father, breaks the Father's heart. That he says, his heart was deeply troubled. Our God did not have a neutral response to the brokenness of humanity, and he doesn't with us. He doesn't with our sin, with our brokenness, with our mistakes. There's a storm coming, and God has provided a way out. There's a storm coming, and God has provided a way out. Jump down to verse 14. Story continues. God says, So make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it, and coat it with pitch inside in and out. This is how you were to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. God provides tremendous uh, clarity, tremendous amount of information to say, here's, here's the actual numbers. Here's the units and numbers and values for how I want to help this out. I'm not, I'm not bringing ambiguity to this. I, I don't want you to kind of, oh, I wasn't sure, God. No, there's clarity with exact numbers. God provides a way out. This is it. This is how you get out of this storm. This is how you uh, break free from this problem. Could you imagine... How many conversations Noah could have had with neighbors about the ark and about the details of the ark and why the ark was being built? I mean, this, this ark was, was, I mean, it took, they estimate about 100 years for Noah and his family to build the ark. Over 100 years, a huge ark being built in the middle of a desert. Do you think that would stir up conversations? I mean, plenty of opportunity plenty of opportunity for people to be curious, for people to ask questions, for Noah to be able to say, God's going to send a storm for, to walk this out. Plenty of opportunity for details to be shared, for information to be walked out. And yet people, people, I mean, the, the attention that this would have drawn, one writer says that Noah and the ark would have been the song of the drunkards. 
that people said, and now I had an ark. Hey, you know, I mean, people getting drunk and just going. He would have been the laughing stock and, and, just, and just, you know, negative attention is certainly attention. And he certainly would have gotten lots of attention as people talk. Plenty of opportunity. Every hammer that smashed down on a nail, every hoobah of a saw would have been an opportunity, a reminder for those around to ask a question to say, what is this all about? Plenty of opportunity to become aware of the way out. No excuse. Almost a hundred years. And what we, what we know now from Scripture is that this God who said, I am going to flood the earth. Here's something we can, we can count on with regard to God. There are a lot of things we can count on with God. But here's one of the things on that list of things we can count on with God. God never bluffs. God never says, ah, I'm just kidding. Come on, you guys, you guys are too serious. Loosen up. Hey, hey, what I'm talking about. Huh? Never, never says this. God says, I'm going to flood the earth, and he doesn't. God says later in the Old Testament, people of God, I am going to kick you out of the promised land. I'm going to kick you out of Jerusalem. And this, this neighboring nation that won't even exist just a, just a few years after this, it's just this nobody nation. They're going to come out. They're going to remove the people of God from the promised land that I, that I gave you. If you don't change your ways. This is what the prophets are saying. If you don't change your ways, it's going to happen. God never bluffs. And they were booted out of Jerusalem. The exile story. God never bluffs. In the New Testament, Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me. God never bluffs. And so there's, there's, there's plenty of access, plenty of information in terms of what the way out is. There's a tremendous connection between the Noah story and the New Testament story. A beautiful connection that the character of the ark in the Noah story is a person in the New Testament. In, in the Noah story, the way out is the ark. In the New Testament story, in the gospel story, there is a person who is the way out. Who is that person? Jesus. See, you got it right. There's a joke in the church that the answer to every question is Jesus. Right? And so you want to train your children to get things right in children's ministry? Just say Jesus. Say Jesus first, and you're promotion, you know, got a 50% chance. How many disciples were there? Jesus! You know, just you kind of you got a chance at least to, to get that right. But in this case, the answer actually is Jesus. That Jesus is the ark. Jesus is the ark. In fact, the story of Noah is referenced a few times in the New Testament. One time was near the end of Jesus' journey here on the earth. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is talking about his second coming, that he is going to die and he's going to ascend into heaven, and one day he will return. And as he's talking about the second coming, saying, you will not know the day, you will not know the hour, but he says in Matthew chapter 24, verse 37, he says, as it was in the days of of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Don't miss the comparison here. 
that Jesus is the ark. And just like there would have been plenty of opportunity for people to ridicule Noah and his family and, and walk by and just scoff the song of the drunkards, there are plenty who, who are going to ridicule Christianity, plenty who are just going to say, you believe in a resurrected Christ? There are plenty who are going to say, uh, uh, that's a crutch for you. That, that you, you Christians, you need something to hang on to, to give meaning to life. That's fine. It's just, it's, it's your own crutch. There are plenty who would be plowing the fields and just ridicule it or perhaps say, you know what? I'm aware of the ark. I'm aware of Jesus, uh, but I won't climb on board until it starts raining. But when we look at the Noah story and the clarity that we have from Matthew 24, how many at the last minute said, oh, okay, I'm going to jump in and be a part of the way out. None. None. I mean, that's not how it works. Because, because the opportunity to respond to this way out, it happens now. And us here in this church, in this community, at this time, we have plenty of opportunity to be aware of the ark, to be aware of the way out, to be aware of the cross, what Jesus did on the cross so that we can have a reconciled relationship with God. Plenty of opportunity for that. And what it comes down to then is how will we respond? And Noah responds admirably. It says at the end of chapter 6, it says uh, in verse uh, 22 there in chapter 6, chapter 6, it says, Noah did everything just as God commanded. Despite the ridicule, despite how, how, how unbelievable the request was, he was faithful. There's a storm coming. God has provided a way out, and we must respond. We must respond. And Noah was incredibly faithful. Just imagine how, how difficult that journey would have been for him, how much of a strain on his relationships that would have been people inviting, hey, come on, come on over. No, I got to work on the ark. Got to work on, oh, he's got to work on the ark. Imagine how, how much of a strain this would have been on his relationship with his in-laws. How many times did his in-laws say to their daughter, you can just stay with this loser? This loser just keeps on working on an ark? How, 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 how difficult was that? And did the in-laws make it on the boat? No. No, there's clarity. There's only eight of them, and the in-laws weren't on that list. I mean, how much tension? How, it's one thing to be faithful, to be obedient when you are moving in the same direction as a number of people around you. In fact, that's a beautiful thing. Uh, it, it's why we promote and are part of groups that we don't have to do this journey on our own. That what we can do is we can go arm in arm with people and say, you know, on my worst days, I'm going to really need your help. On your worst day, I'm going to really help you. It's a part of being in groups and doing life together and the value that we have here. We can move in the same direction. There's something beautiful and powerful and encouraging and impactful about that. It's a whole other thing to do faith, to be obedient when you are going in completely opposite direction, whether it's at work, whether it's in your family. Certain scenarios where, where the faith journey, 
The obedience journey is going in the opposite direction of everybody else. That is a much harder deal for us, and it was much harder for Noah in that situation. How difficult would that have been for Noah to be faithful to the task for a hundred years? How difficult would that have been? He was something special, and God knew that he was. We see in verse 9, a word on the selection of Noah. It says halfway through that verse, Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. He walked faithfully with God. That's why God chose him. I mean, some people maybe would uh, look at the Noah story and say, you know what, I could do that. I could do that. I could, uh, if God instructed me and gave me that much clarity, then I could be obedient. I could do it. Well, it's great to say, but reality kicks in when we just think about, okay, what has God already given you clarity on that we're not so faithful about? in terms of how to do life, how to treat one another, how to, um, how to grow, how to be faithful in terms of our walk, etc. cetera. So, so if we're not faithful with those pieces that we do have clarity on, what makes us think that we would be faithful going against the grain in Noah's situation? Well, there might be others who say, oh, I'm jealous of Noah. Noah had clarity from God, had actual numbers and units Clarity from God. If I had that kind of clarity, I would, I would know what my calling is in life, and it would be fantastic. Where's my ark? Where's my ark? Where's that kind of clarity? Well, you know, somebody might say, I, I, would be so, I would do it. If I had that kind of clarity, I would absolutely do it. I could be made fun of by all the people around me. I could be ridiculed. I'd be okay with that. I would be okay with doing all that work. I'd be okay with the ungodly people just floating in a flood afterwards because they didn't listen to me. I'd be okay with the whole thing. But the story for Noah doesn't start with the clarity from God. Verse 9 says he, he, what he did for years and years and years before he got that clarity from God is that he walked faithfully. He walked faithfully with God. See, God knew who to call on because he knew who was listening. It, we don't just jump into those, to those world-changing moments. We need to be obedient and be faithful with the small moments. In fact, the world isn't going to radically respond to some grand Noah's Ark kind of scenario and then everyone's going to become a follower of Christ. It's very unlikely that that's what the story is. What happens is, is it's one small story at a time. What the world is looking for are obedient men and women who are faithfully walking with God. People like you and me who are, who are not just pretending, not just looking like a certain way on the weekend, but are truly walking faithfully with God in the small ways. That's what, that's what changes people's hearts one at a time. It's just being a part of and being inviting in to the, to the small, faithful steps forward. We remember Noah. And we're talking about Noah here today because he walked faithfully with God. There's a storm coming. God has provided a way out, and we need to respond. What the story of Noah, one of the things that the story of Noah has in common with the story of Jesus, the, 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 the ark 
story and the Jesus story, what they both have in common is that they were dealing with sin. That the issue, the storm, the problem that needed to be solved, it was sin. It's our brokenness. Sin needs to be wiped out. It needs to be, it needs to be, we need to get rid of it. If you want a new start, if you want a new start in life, if you want a new start here in 2017, you have to annihilate sin. You have to annihilate sin. That sin is not something that we are to play with. It's not something that we are to uh, dance around, to decorate, to dress up, to, to, uh, to cover up and say, well, as long as I put enough good things on top of that, then the sin will be uh, taken care of. It's not about a reduction of sin. If I have a 10% reduction of, of, of that particular sin in my life, then that will lead to a new start. No, it's the annihilation of sin. It is a complete uh, uh, tossing out into a raging flooded water, just completely flooding sin out, that's what gives us the new start. And that's what the power of Jesus gives us that we cannot do on our own. Tomorrow is Martin Luther King Day. And it was 53 years ago, this past August, that he gave his famous speech. And he said that he has a dream. And among many things that he said, one of the things that pops out for many of us is he, he says, I have a dream that my four children will be able to live in a nation where they could be judged not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Now here we are, unfortunately, we have, not, we have not reached that dream. We have not accomplished the beauty that Dr. King had, had set before us. In 53 years, many beautiful things have happened. But, but that dream is not going to happen until all parties involved annihilate sin. It's not a reduction. It's not hiding. It's not pushing it away. It's, it's an annihilation of sin. And that means that there are no more jokes and stories and comments on the side, racial uh, things that we say that we, oh, it doesn't matter because no one can hear that, etc. It's just an annihilation of that stuff. And we're not there yet. Another great amount of tension in the country right now is, is the tension between um, uh, the church and the LGBT community. That we here as a church, we believe that God's design for marriage is the union between one man and one woman. That that's, that's God's ultimate design. And often what happens for a church that, that has that position is that the church comes across as judging and unloving. And then on the other side, for those who believe in uh, gay marriage, then uh, to, to uh, view any church or religious person who, who does not fully embrace and endorse gay marriage, that they are hateful towards people. And both sides need to annihilate sin. Both sides need to, there's so much sin and brokenness and, and hurt, and it's understandable on both sides. Both sides need to be able to come together and say, I love you. This is not a church dividing issue. This is something we can come together on. We can continue to learn from each other on. We can do life together on. But it only happens when we just set aside the sin part and we continue to love people over hanging on to a position. It's about, it's about annihilating sin, just tossing it off the boat into the raging waters. So if you want to experience a new start here in 2017, and I'm not talking about a New Year's resolution, uh, exercising or whatever. I'm talking about a radical, spiritual, new start. Then you need to identify the storm. 
You need to identify the, the significance and the importance of sin in our lives. Uh, uh, that it is, it is not something that we can just kind of skip over and say, oh, I just want to get to the good part. We have to go to this sin part and acknowledge what the problem is. We need to identify the way out. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the gate. Jesus is the ark. And so we, we, need to, we need to embrace the reality that Jesus is the way out. We can do it on our own. We can try to do it on our own. When the storm comes and the flood comes, we can, we can tread water for a while. You may be strong. You may be able to tread water for a long time. But we need to identify that the only way out, according to God, is Jesus. And God doesn't bluff on that stuff. We need to identify our need to be obedient, to, res- to respond uh, to this, that we can't have it both ways. We can't have a new start and have everything our own way. We, we can't have both. It's really, it's one or the other. Either, either we're going to trust God with a new start or I'm going to hang on and do things my own way. And what that means is we annihilate sin. We just eradicate it. We just, we don't hang on to it. We don't play with it. We don't just reduce it. We completely, we completely annihilate it from our journey. And that whole process is, is not that easy. It's not that easy. Now, the beauty of the Christ, uh, Christian journey is that we don't have to do it on our own. It is the power of the Holy Spirit working in us to allow all of this stuff to happen and for us to get freedom from our sin. But all of that, it still takes obedience on our end, and we don't naturally respond well to obedience. But that's the pathway towards a new start. That's what I want for us here in 2017. Before I let you go, I want to to pray with you, and then then we'll wrap up here. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I'm so thankful for the story of uh, Noah. God, I'm so thankful for the allegory that it is, for the, the setup that it is, for your overall plan of redemption, for your way of of handling the, the brokenness, the, the, the heart-grieving reality of our sin and how much that hurts you, God. Father, I pray for, um, for those here in this room who, who are open to and looking to a new start in terms of having a relationship with you. Those who perhaps have, have, have never... Um, never got on the boat yet, who have never said, uh, I, I do want to follow Jesus for the rest of my life. I do acknowledge that Jesus is the way out. God, I pray for those here in this room for whom 2017 is a, is a year for something incredibly new spiritually. God, would you give them the questions to ask, the courage to talk to people that they, that they trust in terms of the faith journey and learn about what it means to follow you God, I pray for, uh, for uh, those of us in this room who perhaps have been on the boat a long time and maybe we're just bored. Maybe we don't even, we don't even know. We don't even know why we're here anymore. We, we don't even have a life that's different because of you. God, would you stir us and challenge us to experience something new with you here this year? Father, I pray that, that we become different people at the end of 2017 because of your presence in our lives. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.
Amen. Well, that's it. We kind of went through the Noah story. Um, so glad you guys were here uh, today. We'd love to see you next week and continue the journey with you. Have a great, great week. We'll see you next time.